0: glad that you've made the, uh, the time to come and join us on this Easter Sunday. I mean here's what here's where we're gonna kind of go this morning. We're gonna look at the, you know, some things that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. We're, we're gonna look at some words that Jesus said in John 10, John 14. But, but what I'd really like to invite us to kind of reflect around for the next few minutes um, is, is this idea. We, I must confess, I mean I grew up in the church. Um But this was a bit of a new idea for me a number of years ago, and it just caused me to pause and reflect a little bit differently on on the Easter story, what took place that first Easter weekend. And it's this, before before the the Bible existed as we know it, before the New Testament had been collected as we have it, the church existed. So before before any of the letters that had been collected together to be um, uh, the New Testament Uh, Before any of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John had been penned to recount the events of the life of Jesus and what took place in his birth through his death, his burial, and his his reported resurrection, before any of that was gathered together as we have it today, the Church existed. And, And the fact of the matter was that it was a result of what took place that first Easter Sunday that birthed the church, that's responsible for uh, the events that would become the making of the church. People were encountering Jesus, and it was changing their lives. Uh, people
1: around the entire known world were, were hearing the, the eyewitness
0: reports that, that the one who had claimed to be the Son of God, and claimed to bring God's kingdom among us, that he had, who, who was executed was no longer dead, but that he had been raised to, to new life. What was it that that first generation of, of followers of Jesus believed? Uh, how is it that, that what they believed would result in cataclysmic changes? through the course of history, the the fact of the matter is that there would be profound and enormous uh, changes that would take place in society that can all be dated back to A.D. 30. That's the year that historians would figure, plus or minus a year or two, that historians would identify as the, the date of the death of Jesus. What happened as a result of that? date? What was it that they experienced? Who were these people? What did they, what did they know? And, and what does that mean for us today? That's kind of where we're going to go this morning. And, and my my hope is that, that I would perhaps be able to introduce you in a, a fresh way, maybe for you it's a new way, to the implications of what the resurrection of Jesus has. How it is that the resurrection of Jesus needs to inform and, and change the way we think, the way we live, the way we interact in our world. The resurrection of Jesus changes people's lives. I want to introduce you to a few of those people here this morning. people just like you, people who believed in Jesus and it transformed their lives. And ultimately I want to invite you to believe and Jesus too. Pray for us, and then we're going to jump into this together. Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you again uh, for the opportunity to gather, and thank you for the opportunity to pause and linger over the events that indeed are reported clearly for us in the writings of the New Testament. But their implications actually go beyond even what is written, as we would both look at the then-then, and the now, would you, Holy Spirit, lead us in these reflections, and would you illuminate each of our minds, and would you stir in each of our hearts, and would you make it possible for us to see the risen, resurrected, and ascended Lord Jesus Christ? Amen. This is my prayer as we gather here this morning. We ask it in your name, Lord Jesus. So, who were these people? I, I'm going to introduce you in a couple of moments to uh, a couple named Andronicus and Junior. They were uh, followers of Jesus in the church in uh, the ancient city of Rome, capital of the Roman Empire. But before I do that, I just need to kind of digress a little bit and paint a little bit of the landscape for you yes. into in, in, uh, the world in which they lived. Something happened in, in AD 30 that's undeniable. Um, there's the before Christ, and there's the after, uh, the, the Anno Domina, the the year of our Lord, the, the the common era, or the Christian era, as we would refer to it. Something happened that that changed all of all of history. It revolves around the work of Jesus. Um, historic figure cannot be denied that, that he existed. Historic figure uh, who who came, who lived, who taught who invited people to think about their relationship with God and, and promised that he would introduce them to a relationship with God, that he could restore them in relationship to God. His death, his burial, his resurrection, uh, these are the events that utterly marked history. This
1: was an era of history when there were many wannabe messiahs. Uh, the, the Jewish
0: scriptures spoke of a, an expectation of a prophet who would come a Messiah who would come as God's deliverer, God's rescuer, God's Messiah. And he would he would intervene in human history in such a way as to restore the brokenness of humanity. It, it was understood that, that he would draw humanity back into relationship with Father God, and that in restoring us in relationship with our Maker, that which is wrong in our world would actually be restored the Jewish people, as they looked at those Hebrew scriptures and and attempted to understand them, came to be convinced that the Messiah, when he came, would be a military ruler. Uh, He would be one who would establish God's kingdom, God's rule and reign, through military might. But each one of these supposed messiahs who came uh, would gather a following, would attempt to, uh, to free Israel from the hand of their oppressors, and then they would die. They would be killed, and their followers would scatter, and they're lost to the pages of history for the most part. But when Jesus was executed, the opposite happened. <coughs> now, nah, not at first. In fact, when he was hanging on the cross, and his life was draining from his body, Uh, Eleven of his twelve disciples, the the closest of his followers, hit the road. Like they ran. They're they're killing killing Jesus. They're coming for us next. I'm out of here. Now, now there was one of them, the Apostle John, the youngest of the disciples, who uh, seems to be the only one who stayed at the cross through the bitter end. He, together with a few faithful women who also were followers of Jesus. That was Friday. But then Sunday came. Sunday came and the rumors began. It, it started on the Sunday morning when uh, some women went to the grave, not knowing that Joseph of Arimathea and, and a buddy had, had taken care of uh, entombing Jesus' body, putting spices and herbs on the body. They came to do the same thing. But when they got there, they came back saying, the tomb is empty, his body is gone. What's more, an angel has visited with us, and said, he's not here, he's risen, just as he said he would rise from the dead. And one of the women, Mary Magdalene, actually claimed that she encountered him in person and spoke to him, and she came back bringing this same report. And then later in that first Sunday, some men were walking along the road between Jerusalem and the community of Emmaus, And and Jesus came and began walking with them and talking to them. And then later that evening, he showed up for dinner with a a, a group of of his former disciples. And by the end of that first Sunday, all of history had changed. Every expectation of the human race was impacted. And all of eternity would be transformed for those who would believe in Jesus and turn to the Lord. I'm going to ask a bunch of questions over these next few weeks as we kind of pursue this
1: series that we're calling uh, Evidence. Here's one of those questions. If,
0: as is often claimed, the New Testament is the product of the church, in other words, it's an attempt to reverse-engineer supernatural support for the church's claims. If the New Testament is an attempt to manipulate humanity, how do you explain the existence of the church in the first place? It was popping up like immediately following the events of that first Easter weekend. Uh, there were those who immediately their lives were changed and transformed. We're gonna we're gonna look at a couple of those people over the coming weeks. Popping up immediately after the death and the, the declaimed resurrection of Jesus there was this group of people who initially referred to themselves as followers of the way, and they were were seen as being part of a Jewish sect, like it was something that was coming out of Judaism, ultimately, eventually they would would refer to themselves as the church, the Ecclesia, uh, the community, or the gathering. But to show you what I mean, I'm going to kind of lean on a little bit of a historical timeline here, uh, to try to make my point a little clearer. Uh, Here is AD 30 and the events around that first Easter weekend. We know from various historical writers that Jesus died uh, about AD 30. If I were to kind of just step out of any Biblical reference for a couple of moments and look to (coughs) writers of history, people like Josephus Josephus, who who wrote about the history around this period, this era, Uh, Suetonius, a a Roman historian uh, who wrote uh, about the Roman era, we we come to find out that here in AD 49, uh, so 19 years after the events of that first, um, uh, first Sunday. Um, a bunch of Jewish
1: people were kicked out of the city of Rome. Roman historian, bringing this report, a bunch of Jew- they were kicked
0: out. And, and he says that the reason that they were kicked out was because of they were, were causing such a disturbance. Within their synagogues, that had arisen this conflict uh, over
1: someone that he, he calls Christus. And we look back at the records and we say, this seems to
0: be a reference to Jesus. And so 19 years after that first Resurrection Sunday, there was a stir, 3,500 kilometers away from Jerusalem where this whole thing started, in the the capital city of the Roman Empire, the greatest empire that history had ever known. And and this stir was so significant that the politicians said, we just got to evict
1: all of the people that are involved in this. And so the Jews were all
0: evicted. Uh, They returned back to the city of Rome um, after um, Emperor Claudius' death, uh, AD 54. Um, Ten years after that, uh, July 18th, AD 64, there was a a horrific fire in the city of Rome, and and much of the city burned. Uh, Nero, then emperor, blamed it on the Christians. So, So here's the point that I'm making. Uh, so significant was Christian influence in the capital city of the greatest empire known in history to that point in time that when there were disruptions, Christians actually were at at the center of the of the the hubbub. They were at the center of the furor that was there. Now remember. we're, we're we're, we're attempting to try to get a picture of who these people were that in the, the years following the, the, the first Easter weekend were those who were forming the churches. Because within a year of, within a year of those first events, there were thousands of people who were following Jesus. Uh, by the time we get to the middle part of the first century... There were tens of thousands, by some estimations, easily hundreds of thousands of people who were following Jesus. And not just in Rome, 3,500 kilometers from Jerusalem where the whole thing started, but all around the Mediterranean, there, in, in, in every major city and, and many minor communities, there were, there were those who had become followers of Jesus, who were gathering together and forming churches in those communities. And, and all of that revolved around the work of the person of Jesus. And, and, and I'm going to point to the resurrection as the, the thing which ultimately was that which had convinced them now let me come back to Andronicus and Junius this is a this is a couple, they're a Jewish couple who were followers of Jesus um, we're, we're, we're introduced to them by, uh, in a letter that St. Paul wrote to the, the church of Rome um, they It doesn't give us a lot of detail, but what is there is actually quite helpful. And and as we attempt to understand what it is they knew, um, uh, who were they, what did they know, Uh, we kind of ask two questions. Um, What did they believe, and how did they come to believe what they believed? Um, I'll throw a picture up here. This is a a copy of um, a little darker copy of uh, one of the oldest copies of St. Paul's letter to the Church of, of Rome. It, it, it resides in the University of Michigan Library. We refer to it as, as part of the collection of uh, papyrus or P46. Um, and, and this section it is Romans chapter 16. It's, it's just one of the leaflets that's part of the, the collection. It's written in ancient Greek. If you can't read that, I would understand. Um, it's dated to about 200 AD. So about 150 years after uh, its date <coughs> been written. Um, so it's a copy of a copy, maybe of a copy, something like that. But as far as historical documents are concerned, it, it might as well come straight from the hand of the writer because it's so close to the original um, that it, it's considered to be one of the very reliable texts that, that points to the historicity of all that's, that's there. And, and right in verse 7, let me see if I can find it here, um, we see... Uh, The names of Andronicus, I don't think I've hit the right spot there, the name of Andronicus and um, and, and Junia, Um, they're somewhere in here. It's really hard to read these old texts because there's hardly any space between the words. Um, By and large they're written in capital letters and there's no punctuation. And so the scholars who work with this material really have to. Do, I had a couple years of Greek. Um, other than that, it's all Greek to me too. <laughs> but here's what. But here's what. Here's what this says in modern English translation uh, from that Greek. Um, we get to verse seven in chapter sixteen, um, and Paul, writing to the church of Rome, this is getting toward the end of the letter, and he's got a bunch of greetings to people um, that he knows personally in this church, and he says, "Greet Andronicus of
2: Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me." They're outstanding among the apostles, and they
0: were in Christ before I was. So, so Paul tells us a little bit more about who this couple is. By the way, it's easy to talk about you know, thousands of people, tens of thousands of people believing in Jesus, but then you make it personal. You put somebody's name to it, and you say, here's, here's, here's kind of one account of what seemed to be taking place in those years following that first Easter weekend.
1: Paul here is telling us that they were in prison together. Now, Paul was in prison a lot of
0: times. Um, he refused to shut up about Jesus, and, and so he ended up in and out of prison many times. We don't know which of those occasions would have been the time when, when Andronicus and Junior were in prison with him. Uh, he says that they're outstanding among the apostles. Now, with that use of that word, what we come to understand that he's, he's describing them as people who, who met Jesus. They saw Jesus, the risen and resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. Um, the word apostle comes from the Greek word apostolos, which in the New Testament gets used in two ways. It gets used to refer to the twelve disciples of Jesus after the resurrection of Jesus, they get referred to as, as apostles. So they're the twelve apostles. But it also, the word technically means sent ones. And so it also gets used less often, but it gets used in the sense of anyone who, who met, who saw the risen and resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. And so. This tells us something about Andronicus and Junia. They actually saw Jesus, meaning that they weren't always in Rome. They must have been in Jerusalem, in the area around the the cross, um, at at some point, very close. But Paul tells us even more about them here. He he underscores that. He says, they were in Christ. So that's a turn of phrase which describes uh, that they had come to believe in Jesus. They were in Christ before Paul himself had believed in Jesus. Well, that becomes fascinating, because we know a lot about the life of the Apostle Paul. Uh, he was a Pharisee, uh, one of the Jewish sects, particularly strict Jewish sect. Um, he became incensed that people were continuing to follow Jesus, and he became violent uh, against the followers of Jesus. And, and, and somewhere in about AD 33 or 34, he was on his way to the city of Damascus, running north from Jerusalem up to, the, to Damascus, When Jesus arrested him, Jesus stopped him in his tracks, and he had this vision of Jesus, Jesus spoke to him, and his life has changed. AD 33-34. So that means that Andronicus and Junia came to be followers of the way, uh, before Paul, so somewhere in those first three to the most four years, but they weren't always in Rome, they were in Jerusalem, in order to be able to see the risen and resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, and you can say, well, were they there at the crucifixion? Were they there that Sunday? Were they anywhere in proximity to Jerusalem? We don't know. Um, But we do know. In Acts chapter 2, Dr. Luke tells us that 50 days after uh, that Passover weekend when Christ was executed, 50 days after Pentecost, Pente being coming from the fifty. Um, there were people from all over the world,
1: and he names Rome as one of the cities that people were present there for this celebration. These were were Jews. He's specifically saying that there were um, Hebrew Jews as well
0: as those who were converted to Judaism, and they were all present there on that Pentecost weekend. And so it's it's not too big of a stretch to say, well, is it possible that that somewhere in that period of time, Andronicus and Junia were there? Were they there that Pentecost weekend when... And the Apostle Peter preached a great sermon, and and it tells us that 3,000 people turned to Jesus and and began to follow him. Um, We know from their names, Andronicus and Junius are are Greek names, Uh, it it suggests that they may have not been of Hebrew origin, they were a group of Jews that were known as as Hellenists. Um, They were those who had a Greek family heritage, but had come to believe in Jesus. Uh, Perhaps they were from that. The name suggests that it was something like that. There's kind of another interesting little thing that goes on here, and that is that we we don't actually know how the church in Rome started. We know how many of the churches around the Mediterranean started. um, Disciples, apostles um, went out twos, threes, fours, and started churches all around. All around the Mediterranean, major cities, you had churches popping up, like wildfire. But we don't have a historical record of how the church in Rome started other than, there's a lot of evidence that suggests it started really very early. And so could it be that the followers of Jews who had become followers of Jesus, present to become apostles because they saw the risen, resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, were in Jerusalem for the, the celebrations that were around the Passover, Pentecost, and then went back from the holiday to their home city of Rome, taking their faith with them and starting a church there in Rome. Well, more conjecture than we can nail down. We can't be sure of of any of that, other than we've got churches that are present all around the Mediterranean. And all of this before Paul had been writing his letters, Peter had been sending his letters out to the churches, before Matthew, Mark, um, Luke, or John had written their Gospels. And and there are people whose lives are being changed, their lives are being transformed because uh, they believed in Jesus. And that just kind of inspires me at least to say, okay, well, what do, what do we know about what they did? What was it that was, that was being understood? And we don't have to wonder very long about it, because in another letter that Paul wrote to the church that he helped start in the, the Roman city of Corinth, this is part of, uh, it's in present-day Turkey. First Corinthians is what we call it today, written, uh, written about AD 55, so, 25
1: years after the events of that first, um, first Easter weekend. And, and in it, in chapter 15,
0: uh, Paul uh, tells us what the early church believed. Um, he says, Now, brothers and sisters, so that's a way of referring to followers of Jesus, I want to remind you of the gospel. The word gospel means good news. I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to
1: you, which you received, and on which you have taken your stand. By this good news, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I
0: preached to you, otherwise you will believe in vain. For what I received, I passed on to
1: you as of first importance. So this is what he passed on. So, letter written in AD
0: 55. Church started before that. So it, within like the first 20 years following that first Easter weekend, this church in Corinth was begun. And this is what he taught. And, and I'm going to show you that it was actually a creed. It was a, a well-established um, kind of way of reciting truth together. You know, we could say the Lord's Prayer together. It's that kind of thing. They could say a creed together. So this creed existed before the starting of that church, but this is what Paul taught. What I received, I pass on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. So, so there he's referring to the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament expectation the Messiah would come. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and he was buried that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and he appeared to Cephas, that's another name for the apostle Peter, and then to the twelve, after that he appeared to more than five hundred of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. Though some have fallen asleep, in other words, he's saying you can verify this because there are eyewitnesses; those who met him, saw him, talked to him, were present there. You can verify that this is true because there are eyewitnesses still alive in 855 when he's writing this letter. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one, as if to one abnormally born. That middle part there is what we refer to as the creed, this this saying that has become well known. Jesus. Christ died for our sins, this was what was being cited, Jesus Christ died for our sins, was buried, and was raised on the third day. And and then we likely have Paul's sort of added words here, although it may have been part of the creed, appeared to Cephas, or or the Apostle Peter, to the twelve, and to more than 500 brothers and sisters, most of whom are still living. And then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. Andronicus and Junius were among the group that are being described here in this creed, which is what Paul had used to, to, to teach and to invite people to believe in Jesus. And thousands of them did. And it radically transformed their lives. This is what they believed. It's what changed them. And Jesus is still showing himself And has continued to show himself through the centuries and today is still showing himself to people just like you people just like me and touching and changing our lives Um, many of you know them but but some of you will not Um, I want to introduce you to another husband and wife team uh, that met Jesus and has been changing their lives Um, Rob Rossi and his wife Cindy McDonald Cindy was playing keyboard and singing this morning Um, they offered to share their story with us
2: so let me invite you to, attend to the 10th text screen. Um, you know, I accepted Christ as my Savior as a very small child. I was baptized um, probably when I was about 9 or 10. And uh, everything was, we went to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. And <laughs> that was my life. Um, and then uh, I did go to Bible college. Things weren't great in my home life. Uh, My parents were struggling with their marriage and um, my mother was struggling with her um, mental health and I think so was I and my sister and things were just really rocky and I just ran away. Just ran and just went, I'm not having any of this. I got into a very toxic relationship. Um, I moved away from my family, isolated myself. I think it was my dad actually that that talked to me about being loved. and, and definitely brought that back to God, like you're a child of God, you were loved, you have value, um, and you need to be valued, and have that sense of self-value, enough to walk away from something that's not good for you.
3: I went through my rebellion, (laughs) and uh, uh, I didn't think that I deserved God, and uh, everything I did was against God, and uh, so I didn't think there was a place for me, because I had a punitive perspective, you know, thunder and lightning, fire and brimstone, and I had already done enough that I wasn't able to join. There's no way to explain my coming to faith, right, I was a drug addict, an alcoholic, Um, as a child, I mean, I drank heavily from 13 and used drugs from 15, went to treatment centers, Was psychologically evaluated as unstable and dangerous at 16 continued till 21 and came to a place of desperation where murder was on my mind and my end was on my mind and I ended up in this little chapel in this little town in this treatment center that I thought I was participating with and I'm reading proverbs and psalms and I came from that place of brokenness. Uh, I cried out, I prayed, I begged to uh, have Jesus take over, have the Lord take over. Opened up my heart and said, uh, (laughs) either you're in or I'm out or actually it was more of I'm out (laughs) I'm done I can't do it anymore without you and I need it and I will do whatever you tell me to do and the part you can't explain is the feeling that washes over a person in that state right I describe it to people as you know all I remember is white and light and a lifting and from that moment more than 25 years ago I haven't felt compelled for drugs and alcohol. I've felt my Savior in my life. Now, I thought the connection was solid, and when I tell that story to people, I'm like, yep, that was the time, that was the place, that was the change, and that was the light, and I went forward in the light, and it was all good. Got divorced and, and, and there, and, and Rob had struggles with work, and Rob got you know fired from a job, and, and I didn't connect the dots there. That what has always carried me through all those different phases, whether it was that early, kind of uh, harsh scenario, through the trials that go with life our first date i think religion came up mm-hmm. and, and that was awkward. So we, we, we had the conversation about faith and 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 what we believed and and so that seed was planted almost instantly in our relationship um, but we didn't really touch on it for a number of years
2: so we had gotten married and um and everything seemed to be going good but there was just this sort of feeling of something missing and something wasn't quite right and uh, I don't know, this being back
3: in a relationship with God as part of the relationship um, has been huge in the last while right, in how I handle things and and how I talk to people about things it changed our conversations at home mm-hmm. right, it, it uh, was not common in the early years of our relationship to say, hey, what's God telling you to do in this situation? Have you had a talk with God about that? You know, what's God telling you to do about that? So, um,
2: the bad stuff doesn't go away. <laughs> it's still there. So just because you come back into right relationship doesn't mean that God's that the path is going to have no bumps. It's just been um, so much easier to, to take. Um, It's not been easy, but it would would have been crushing without knowing that God was there to be to be there with us. How, when we're struggling most,
3: He's carrying us the most, right? And how we don't feel Christ in our lives when we're hurting, struggling, but it is truly when He's probably there most actively, because it's what's keeping you from. Going over the edge of whatever
2: that struggle was. He loved me through it, brought me out of it, and is still loving me, and um, took me back. So, just like my own parents took me back, um, so did God. And um, He's still here. (laughs) So, the fact that our relationship and our marriage is God centered is almost a miracle. He has better things for us, so just keep going. <laughs> the hurt is—it's you don't need to—you don't need to sit in the hurt. You don't need to sit in the self-loathing um, for for any any longer. Like just go.
0: <laughs> People just like you believe in Jesus, and, and it's changing our lives. It's still going on today. Jesus Christ died for our sins, was buried. Yeah and was raised on the third day. Maybe you say, well, that, that, that's cool enough, but what does it really mean? Um, how, how does that really change anything? And it changes it in this. Jesus didn't just do it, which that would be enough. He also predicted it. Uh, you see, Jesus said things like, John chapter 10, the reason my Father loves me is that I lay my life down only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. You see, when he said this, the Jews thought he was insane. Like they wrote him off as crazy, but then did it. It happened. It was true exactly as he said
1: It begins to to invite us to turn and look at at all the other things that Jesus
0: said and and to to believe, to trust in what they are, to, to, to trust that they're true, not just the moral instructions that he gave, but also the eternal instructions that he gave. Recorded for us in John chapter 14, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. The events of that first Easter weekend transformed people's lives then, and it continues to transform our lives now. People just like you. Their lives are being transformed because of the events of Easter Sunday. And when I say transformed their lives, Cindy kind of referred to it. I don't mean, I don't mean just made them better, I don't mean, I don't mean just made them easier. I don't mean anything as superficial as that. I mean, He made them eternally secure, absolutely
1: anchored in relationship with Father God, never to walk alone again.
0: The majority of humanity live in the events, live in the world of the Friday of Easter weekend. They live in death, but Jesus came. To bring life, and the way, and the truth, I am the life. Have you ever noticed that the the the, the narrative, the script for human existence, uh, it, it is effectively um, you're born and then you die. Uh, we 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 count life from birth and the giving of life to death and, and the laying of life down. And I'll bet that every one of us has a bucket list of some sort. You know, something that we'd like to accomplish before we die. Something we'd like to see, something we'd like to do. And it testifies, it suggests that we all have this feeling that there's something that is terribly wrong in our world. That our time is short. And that we better squeeze as much living into the days that we've got that we possibly can squeeze into them. Every time I host a funeral, I feel this. And I'll say it, too. There's something wrong. Something has not gone according to plan. Death is a robber. Sin has stolen life from humanity. But that was Friday. And the scriptures tell us that Jesus became sin
1: so that we might become the righteousness of God at this extraordinary exchange. That was Friday. That was what Jesus came to
0: do. But then Sunday came. The debt of sin had been paid on Friday. The curse of sin had had been removed for those who would believe in Jesus and turned to the Lord. But it was Sunday that brought victory. It was Sunday when we realized what had taken place. When in the resurrection of Jesus it became visible, it became evident. Those who saw him knew that something utterly eternity transforming had taken place. If you're still living... In Friday, and in the weight and the death and the decay of our world, Jesus wants you to step into Sunday. He invites you to step into Sunday with Him, where the curse has been reversed, where,
1: the death, where death becomes life, and where He flips the script. The, the script used to be life to death, so grab
0: as much as you can. But for those who will trust in Jesus, we're moving through death to life. It's a far better story. It's a far better script to be involved in. Jesus invites you to believe in him and to follow him today. Now, the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus was all that they had, but it was enough. What more do you need? Jesus Christ died for our sins. He was buried And on the third day, he rose from the dead. The the resurrection of Jesus was the greatest moment in all of history. In fact, it's the greatest moment in all of eternity. And and the next will be made possible. Colin referenced that in his prayer earlier, the next will be made possible because of it, and that's your resurrection. That's when you and I, as followers of Jesus, join him internalized let me invite you to stand with me and my city and the worship team to come let me pray for us as we respond in song in just a minute but I want to pray for us and if you bow your heads with me we're going to seek the Lord together Lord Jesus Christ would you come and convince us this morning I ask that, that Lord Jesus, that you would stir in in each and every one of us this morning with an overwhelming and undeniable sense that you are real,
1: and that we need to respond to you, that we need to
0: turn to you, believe in you, trust our lives into your hands, and be saved. Holy Spirit, we would ask this morning uh, that, that you you would come and show us Jesus? While well, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, let me just ask a simple questions. Will you say yes to Jesus? It might be something like this. Yes, Lord Jesus. I agree with you that my sin separates me from you. Yes, Jesus, I ask you to forgive my sin on account of your good work that Friday. Yes, Jesus, I'm choosing to turn and begin to follow you starting today. I want to live in the hope of Resurrection Sunday. I'm asking you to help me to do so. Yes, Jesus, I am yours. And Jesus, now you follow you. Come and change my world. Come and change my eternity. I ask this and pray this in strong and all-powerful